Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby, episode 21 of the podcast. And today, uh, via Colorado Springs, our special guest, Sean Ford of USA Basketball. He is the men's national team director. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Elliot. Appreciate appreciate being on. Okay, so um, we I, I've wanted to have you on for a long time, and I thought the timing would be perfect uh, this summer for a couple reasons. Um, one, we just had one of our players, Carson Edwards, with the uh, U-9 team, uh, team that went to Egypt and uh, competed in Cairo over there. And we've had a pretty strong USA basketball presence in the past with a lot of former players kind of uh, working their way through different, different teams. And then, of course, Coach Painter um, has been highly involved um, with, with USA basketball over the last few years, and I know you've gotten to know him pretty well. Um, so I guess yeah. that's kind of where I wanted to start. And just first of all, kind of, I guess in particular, um, you've been now with uh, USA Basketball for quite a while, and so to kind of talk us through kind of your role and, and your duties with the program. Sure. I, I, I've been at USA Basketball since my 23rd summer um, full-time, and the last, I guess this would be my 17th summer as the men's national team director, which um, the role is kind of just putting a lot of different pieces in place for the various teams that represent the United States um, at, at different levels. Um, obviously, everyone's probably familiar with the World Championship and Olympics, but then we also have U16, 17, 18, 19 uh, teams and the Hoop Summit Um I also work with the Pan Am team and, and a new qualifying structure that is just starting uh, up this August. And uh, I work with people to secure the coaching staff, um, the players, particularly invites for the players to come to training camp because usually it's um, we're in a competitive situation to earn a spot on the team. So getting and then just the logistics of of scheduling and planning uh, the training camps and the air travel and getting players to camp, getting them down, getting it down to 12 and then getting the players and the coaches to the competition. You know, we deal with the medical staff as well and flights and hotels and buses and things like that, uh, that I'm sure you're familiar with Elliot, but yeah. just a little bit of everything to put the players, you know, our philosophy in a way is, is fairly simple. We try to do everything we can um, to make sure that the coaches only have to focus on coaching and the players only have to focus on playing. Yeah, and we try to take care of everything else. It, it's funny to hear you say that because I've I, I've often told people that in my role uh, as operations director, you know, people that don't maybe necessarily understand well, what does all that entail. And I I use that same line. I said I I want to do everything so Coach Painter all he has to do is recruit and coach. And everything else I try to tackle and make sure it never, you know, it's something he never has to worry about. So there's a lot, a lot involved, obviously, especially with the international travel. Um, and, and so you personally, how many how many countries do you think you visited as part of USA Basketball? Ooh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've never really, um, you know, maybe the first couple summers you start keeping track and then after that. Um, and then you've been doing it long enough where you have a lot of repeat, you know, trips to mm-hmm. the same countries. You know, in terms of planning for like the Olympic Games, there's usually we usually make seven to eight trips to that country before in over a three year period planning for the Olympics. But wow. you know, I, I mean, I have to say it's 
it's it's 40 to 50 countries at least but wow. um we just keep you know you you know in this role you you always keep moving ahead and very seldom do you think back uh if that makes any sense yeah absolutely well sean i always uh, always live in the past so that makes me a little <laughs> bit different but having said that and i did want to bring up a past question and that is 23 years how has it changed uh, how has international basketball changed how you're running it and the style of play and, of course, the success ratio of it? Well, you, you know, I think you um, – when you're in a situation where you're you're always trying to be the best, um, and you, 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 you have to elevate. Like I always say, um, you know – you can have a great company, but if your quarterly stock isn't always increasing, you know, um, you know, you're you're losing ground. If that makes sense, I mean, even though you know Nike's a great company, you know, they still are charged with every quarter, you know, making more money than the quarter before. And so, you know, in, in a team like for for us, I always think that we have to try to get better all the time. And what we find, you know, we have sometimes you have to reinvent yourself. Um, sometimes you have to find a way to get better, even though you um, are perceived as the best from a pre- the results of a previous conversation. I think that, you know, we look back at the benchmark of the Dream Team in '92 as a moment where um, the the popularity of basketball was greatly impacted by that team which resulted in a lot of players dreaming of playing basketball. And, you know, the results of it are the international game has, has taken a, a, a considerable um, jump in, in ability and interest in players playing. So the game has gotten a lot better. Um, there's better players playing. I also think over time, um, just like you see in the NBA, the game has changed and it's become, um, you know, more of a faster pace. It's become more of a free-flowing game. It's become, um, you know, a more face-up game. You know, most players are playing face-up. Um, there's less and less players with the true, uh, true center. Um, we're realizing uh, over time that, you know, our athletic ability and our length are something that a lot of other countries don't have, and that's a real strength for us. So we're playing with a lot of different type of lineups. We're playing smaller, if you will. Um, length is a big part um, of, of our game now internationally. Uh, we also know that we don't have as long to train as some other countries, and we don't always have the same players year after year. So we're always faced, we're faced with teams that are, are used to playing against each other a lot. And that um, usually results in them running really good offense. They're very, very well uh, coached on on offense. So, you know, for us defensively, um, the length and the ability to, to maybe just do some things differently, we need to do. But, yeah, the game's changed a lot over time, but we've had to react to um, different successes of other countries, you know, just like, you know, now, you know, Canada beating us, you know, a little, you know, week and a half ago. Um, is, is, you know, we, we have to kind of figure some things out for the U19. We didn't win it for a long time. 
Um, you know, Coach Painter was on the team that won it, and he was a coach. He was an assistant coach on the team that won the U19 in in 2009 in New Zealand. And what you what people don't realize is that we hadn't won that tournament since 1991. Wow! So we went 1991 to 2009 without winning that tournament. Now it's not played every year, but it's played consistent enough that you can see we we weren't successful in it. But then when we won it in nine, we won it three out of four years. So we kind of figured some things out. Mm-hmm. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, you win it back to back. Uh, and now you're going for your third in a row. And, um, you know, we, we weren't better than Canada on that particular day. I have to, you know, you have to tip, their hat, tip your hat to them. They, they were really good. And we weren't, we weren't worthy of winning that game. And so, you know, we, we think about that and think about, okay, how, how can we, you know, not how can we try to not be in that position in two years when we're in this tournament again you know as a follow-up to that i know you talked about the the dream team of 92 and that kind of being the high water mark i know that in the years following that especially with the with the national team um there was there was kind of a dip and then i know jerry colangelo gets involved and talk a little bit about that his involvement and kind of then that next step, that transition to uh, kind of putting, I think probably putting some of those issues back on the on the front burner in terms of USA basketball. Well, you know, it, it was a um, it was a perfect timing for Jerry to come in. We needed his leadership, and we needed some things. Um, you know, we we. Uh, you know, what ha- What we were doing with the Dream Team was we were just putting 12 players together. And then just they, w- they were playing, and we did that in 94 with Dream Team 2 with the World Cup in 96. And, you know, you forget the 96 team was about as good of a team as you'll ever see put together as well. Um, you know, you had David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal, and... Um, uh, David Ro- David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal, Hakeem Olajuwon, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, Scotty Pippen, all in their prime. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't. You know, they were all in their prime. You know, Grant Hill before his foot injury. You know, John Stockton, Reggie Miller. Um, you know, Gary Payton. That was a heck of a team too. And then after that, you know, we had the lockout in '98, and then in 2000, you know, we. We put a team together but of 12, but one of the things was there were a lot of injuries to players during the season that year. And so we were kind of replacing players with other players and that. And, you know, we had a very good team, but that that was eight years after the World Cup or after the uh, Green Team. And if you remember, you know, Lithuania in the semifinals had a shot in the air to potentially win the game. Mm-hmm. And then we beating France in the finals, but that was a close game as well. And there were every indication there that maybe we should start think, thinking of doing some things differently. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't necessarily, you know, look close enough. And so we had the same approach in 2002. And again, we had some injuries. Um, and we replaced Jason Kidd and, and Ray Allen, who were injured during the NBA season with Baron Davis and Jay Williams, who had just finished with Duke. And Reggie Miller sprained his ankle in training camp and, and never played a game. So and those were the, were those the championships in Indianapolis? Yes. 
Okay. You know, our start, our back court was scheduled to be Ray Allen, Jason Kidd, and Reggie Miller, and and none of those three ended up playing in a game. Uh, but nonetheless, we had a team there that was fully capable. We just didn't really come together as as, as we needed to. But again, it was just twelve, and um, you know, same in, in 04, We we didn't uh, we came together a little bit late in terms of you know getting starting to play well. The team ended up playing very well at the end, but we just couldn't overcome Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, and offensively, they were really something in 04. But then Jerry comes in, and, and we have more of a national team approach where we have a pool of players, and they come to camp consistently. And we we select um, you know players out of the pool to play. Um, what we try to avoid, and this is what we learned maybe with Jerry and Coach K's assistance, is we try to avoid the word um, cut, cuts, like tryouts, and um, like trials and cut. Mm-hmm. We try not to say that. We try to say training camp and selection. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, if you're invited to the national team training camp, that's a significant opportunity. And, you know, we, we, we select 12, we, you know, so we, we focus on the selection of players, not focus on that this particular player was cut. It was more that other players were selected. It's semantics, and I understand that. But, you know, we, we try to make it seem that it's, it's, it's important to be part of the national team. And yeah. that once you're part of the national team, you're always part of the national team. So just, even if you're not selected, when you regroup, it's reset, and everyone is still part of the national team. And you know you have equity because maybe you played on a team before, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's your spot and that you don't have to earn it again. And it seems like I think uh, that part of it. And I think it seems like, especially with Coach K as the head coach, that there's been more of a. Uh, I guess a greater sense of pride to be involved in that uh, national pride. Um, I think he's, and it's been pretty well documented with some of the things he does to try to instill that in those players. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, he's been at the helm now for, or, and now you're making the transition to Coach Popovich taking over. But talk about the years with Coach K, you know, being in charge of that, how that affected you. And then talk a little bit about the transition going into Coach Popovich. Well, Coach was awesome, and, and as you know, Elliot, you, you know him, and uh, he really, you know, we spent a lot of time on, you know, the fact that, you know, you're representing your United, United States, you're, um, you know, part of something bigger than your, your, yourself, and, you know, we, we spent a lot of time, you know, working with the military as well as taking kind of a lead from them is that they are, you know, elite-level individuals, for what they do, they're the best in the world, similar to our players. And they they sacrifice for a purpose, and they represent something bigger than themselves. And by no means do us playing in a basketball game compare to what the commitment that they're making, making to defend, you know, the United States around the world. Um, but, you know, just being able to share some of those experiences of military officers you know, with our players, um, I, I think it, it had an impact on our players. And, uh, you know, just knowing that, you know, what it means to, to have pride in what you're doing and, and who you're representing. And, 
I think that that goes a long ways. It really does. And you know, in order for a player to to really feel something, they have to be moved by it. And um, I think that with coach, he's really good at at moving players' emotions in the direction to where it, what they're experiencing is meaningful, and then it affects how they approach the game in representing their country. And so he was he was terrific at that, and he was also terrific at you know knew that it was easier for him to change one person to change for twelve than twelve to change for one. So he was you know very um, nimble in his approach to the players and made sure that, and this was Jerry from Jerry too, is that we took the lead from players a lot. You know, what do you need? What do you want? You know, our philosophy, everyone's, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, aren't the players high maintenance? And, you know, our philosophy is we should get to know the players well enough to know what they need to be successful. Mm -hmm. And if we do that, they don't have to ask for anything. We know what they need. It's part of our, our plan. So if no one has to ask for anything, there's no maintenance involved. And so we try to eliminate, you know, the, the, the asking of things because that just means that, you know, you didn't pro provide something that they need. And we also know well enough that, you know, like anything in life, you know, you can sometimes ask for something that's, you know, a, more than you need. And, and we can work with them on that. Um, but that's about building trust. And just saying, well, you know, I don't know if we can quite do that, but let me see, let me look into it. But for the most part, you know, what they need to be successful from a basketball standpoint, we work at providing. You know, and that, that goes with, with meals, it goes with recovery of these athletes. They're just such fine-tuned athletes. It's not just about preparing them for a specific competition. It's about helping them recover from competition so they can get going again. And, you know, all those things that go along with that um, are really important for these players. With that being said, uh, the most recent um, the most recent competition for the senior team, I mean, down in Brazil for the Olympics, what was did, did Brazil present some uh, some unique challenges in terms of logistics? It did. It did. You know, and every Olympics kind of has their their own uniqueness. Um we provide our own challenges by not staying in the village, but we just <laughs> feel that, you know, us being, you know, we, we think we're better off out of the village. So then we uh, have to kind of find our own place to stay. Um, and then, then you're also kind of forced to, to deal with traffic in a different way than, you know, from the village and that, um, you know, obviously there was, there's a security concern at all Olympics, but, you know, Rio had its own challenges. Um, traffic was very challenging in Rio. The the road structure there is not uh, something that was easy for the for the city itself to host the Olympics. Um, so security and traffic, and they don't necessarily have a lot of hotel rooms there. It's not a big big city, so um, hotel rooms are such a premium there. Um, as you probably know, we ended up. Uh, Cisco brought in a cruise ship for their for their guests and didn't need all of the rooms, so we bought a block of rooms from them for the players, which worked out really well. So it's just that the location of it was was you know of a distance from the venue, so we were probably you know 35 40 minutes from the venue. Uh, but you know you 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 know what works well from one thing is 
sometimes you have to compromise on the other, but the accommodations were great. The meals were fine. Um, security, there was a level of security on the boat that um, helped us out a lot. So uh, you kind of take the good with the bad. I can only but imagine. Overall, I can only imagine well. the I can only imagine the logistics involved going to Brazil. As you mentioned, you you go there six seven times in the three years leading up to it. You're on a you're putting your players up in a boat. It's a we talked about we do similar things, but it's a little different than setting up a little two day trip to Iowa City for the old boilermakers that we do. Um, the the amount that you guys do in preparation is is amazing. Have you found you talked a little bit about what the the players are like on the on the national team? What's the biggest difference? Are they at the end of the day are they just players? Because these are these are both young men, so to speak, between the national team the NBA guys, and then when you work with the team that our guy Carson Edwards was just on, the U19 team, um, those are high school slash college guys, younger guys. At the end of the day, are they more similar than they are different just because they're both young athletes? I think they're they're more similar. It's just that it's all about their their, their level of, of maturity, and I, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that you know, maturity average, you know, it, it equates to your age, you know, and, mm-hmm. and your life experiences. And the U19 team has its unique challenges because even though they're all close in age, every player on the team was really either 18 or 19 years old. It's almost like there's three age levels because you have kids that just finished their junior year of high school, just graduated from high school, and then, like, for Carson, had just, you know, finished his freshman year and, um, uh, college, so you know he, he's he's sitting here playing with someone that just um, just finished eleventh grade, you know, and and so they're they haven't had as many life experiences as you know even Carson, and then you take Carson and you you know put three years of life experiences in Carson, you know, the your level of maturity is different, uh, but at the same time, you know, they're they're basketball players and. Um, they, they, they love the game and they, they, they play hard and they do all those things, but yeah, so it's different, but you know, one of the things that if we're doing our jobs right at USA basketball, we, we have, we basically have the same players at a lot of different age groups, you know? So, Mm -hmm. uh, I say that because, you know, well, the team that, um, uh, that Matt Painter was an assistant coach on the U19 team in, in 2009, um, you know, now you have Clay Thompson was on that team, and now Clay is a, a gold medalist both at the World Cup and the Olympics. You know, Gordon Hayward was on that team. You know, and Gordon, you know, we, we would suspect that, that he'll, you know, be in the running for the World Cup and the Olympic Games, you know, this uh, this next go-round. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in 2007, you know, uh, DeAndre Jordan and Steph Curry were on the U19 team. So it's it all um, you know you, you see these players later and that's what helps a lot to be honest with you because most of the players on the Olympic team in 2016 had played for USA basketball on our junior teams and we got to know them really well and so there's there's trust there and you know when there's you know when, once you you have some trust you, you never stop earning it but when you have it um, it's much easier to deal with with people at that level. So how was that trip uh, to Cairo? Um, 
Uh, Carson, I've talked with him a little bit since he's gotten back, and uh, he it really enjoyed the experience. Um, he, uh, I, I know there were some days where you guys got out and about. He was uh, through social media, pictures of him on a camel and with the pyramids in the background, that kind of thing, which is all, um, which is all great, especially for our fans to see that kind of stuff and um, to have him represent um, our program the way he did. He had a very good uh, tournament over there. Talk a little bit about not only Carson, but just that trip. Um, and were you on that trip? I was. Yeah, I was on that trip. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, Cairo um, is, is a very unique city. It's the largest city in Africa. Um, this is the first 20 million people that live there. It's the first uh, time that FIBA ever had a world championship in Africa. Wow. So it was a significant for 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 FIBA. Um but it's, you know, it's a different part of the world. Um, you know, the, the world's changing right in front of our eyes as we would all, you know, as we all are seeing. And, you know, that, they, that's an area of the world that's, you know, changing significantly. You know, they had a revolution there six or seven years ago. And, uh, you know, we, we felt very safe there. Our U.S. Embassy um, supported our team at a, an incredible level from a security standpoint. And U.S. Basketball took some... Um, precaution security wise too just to try to eliminate you know as much risk as we can of, of going to you know a, a unique part of the world but the accommodations were great the food was was very very good there was a lot of options at our hotel um, but it was fun also to get out I had, I had made a trip to Cairo in in February just to kind of look around and make sure we knew what we were dealing with before we went there and the pyramids are you know it's just you know, it's a fascinating world in the fact that our country is 241 years old hmm. and um, Cairo is 5,000 years old. <laughs> wow. You know, that, you know, so we're just a baby in the world when you think about it. Um, and, and the only reason I know it's 241 uh, years old is we actually went to the U.S. Embassy for their July 4th celebration. That's their biggest party of the year. There was over a thousand people um, at the U.S. Embassy in uh, in Cairo, and we were there, and we got some really good food, and spent you know there was a lot of Americans there. They had a lot of dignitaries from other countries there. You know, our players were, you know, as a group, um, they were identified by the U.S. ambassador there as being in town and being at the event, and it was a lot of fun, you know, to, to see that. But um, you know, going to the pyramids and and just seeing that, and it was fun. We. We were a little hesitant to have the guys ride on the on the, um, the camels because you don't realize like you think about getting on a horse, you know, you're up almost twice as high when you get on a camel. You're up there really high. Wow. And you know, so, so we got them all like on a camel. We took a picture and then we got them back down. We didn't want them riding around on them. Um, <laughs> but it, it, was, it was pretty cool. It was, it was fun, and you know, we we got out. Um, you know, two big outings. We, we took the players to the TGI Fridays there. So we were able to go to Fridays and, and get some, uh, some good, you know, Western food, if you will, some, some chicken wings and potato skins and, uh, milkshakes and burgers and that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, we try to, to make them feel as home, home as much as we can as well. But there, it was fun. I mean, kids, you know, it's, they're you forget you know they're even though they're they're incredibly gifted individuals from a basketball standpoint you know they're they're teenagers right you know 
and you know they're out of their element. They're uh, you know. Um, you know, I always say, like, it used to be, you know, to survive in the world, you need food, water, and shelter. Now you need food, water, shelter, and internet access. <laughs> That's right. True. That's exactly and, right. And they're not, and it's not necessarily in that order either. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, I've been, I've been a part of four trips here uh, at Purdue. Um, we did uh, a London-Paris trip under Coach Katie, and then since Coach Painter's been here, uh, and Larry's been a part of these. We've been to Australia. Uh, we've been to Spain. We've been to Italy. And then, of course, we're going to be traveling again here in August, uh, going over to Taipei um, as the World University Games representative. Um, it's, And I've always found this as being a guy that's kind of in charge of the logistics, too. Uh, I, I wouldn't trade the job. I love it. Um, and I really like to see the, the the student athletes and their reactions to things and the education it gives them but at the same time it, there's no real rest because you're always stress I don't want to say stressing but you're always at some point worrying about what's next on the itinerary do you find are you like me do you find it hard to enjoy it as much as you could be if it were like a personal vacation because you basically are responsible for everybody else yeah that, that's that's true um, that's it's very true. Um, it's it's pretty much all working. It's I almost feel like sometimes once one day starts, that day's kind of over. Um, you know, you're always planning the day ahead. Right. You know, once it starts, it's it's you're improvising and adjusting. There's no more planning for that day, um, but you can plan for the next day and just try to stay ahead of things. But there's always you know, you got to uh, expect the unexpected and just kind of roll with it. Um, but w- one of our things that we try to make sure that the players understand, the coaches, and when we're dealing with these countries um, is that, you know, they are different, but it also means that we're different. You know, they, they look at us as different. We look at them as different. But for the most part, what what they're providing us is the best that they have to offer. You know, so mm-hmm. it might not be what we're used to, but what you have to understand is they're giving us their best. Right. You know, it's, it's the best food. It's the best bus they have to offer. It's the best, you know, and you just have to understand that they're doing, they're giving us what they have. And it might not be what we're used to, but, you know, we we have to just, you know, appreciate it and roll with it. And um, it usually takes three or four days for people to, for the place that you're in to not be foreign anymore. You know, it's, yep. it's kind of like when you get you get a new phone, the first four or five days, everything is in a different place and it looks a little different and all that. All right. But then, you know, once you're in for four or five days and you know where everything is, everything's normal again. So when you get to another country, the first four or five days, regardless of, you know, what level of team or who you're with or where you are, just a little bit of foreignness to it that you just have to get used to um but you know for the most part we we are never in a place that prevents us from doing what we came there to do well what's funny is you 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 brought up the line expect the unexpected and i don't know if you know this or not but but coach kate that was one of coach katie's lines that he used a lot and so we are constantly bringing that up uh and it could just be during regular season travel if something comes up 
Um, that that comes out of our mouths all the time. Yeah, Coach Katie, expect the unexpected. So it's funny to hear you when you said that. Larry and I, both our eyes went up because uh, it, it's funny that that's, it's uh, a uh, it's a uh, it's an absolutely big part of how I travel. I mean, it always has ever since I heard him say it because in people, when I'm not with a ball team, when I'm not with the club, it's, uh, you know, I'm traveling some other way. And normally outside of uh, athletic travel, it's not usually as good because you're going commercially most of the time. And, and so I'll say that and people will look at me and they'll wonder why I'm not upset, you know, and I've always said that. Expect the unexpected if you do. Yeah. You just, hey, you just deal with it. And I think that's great, great, well, you know, great advice. Coaches are constantly, you know, it's the right way to coach, but they always say, you know, look, next play, next play. Don't worry about the play before. Just go to the next play. And that's really what it's, that's what travel's about too, is like once you're like, okay, place delayed. All right, let's. Let's just deal with this in front of us. You know, when, when you complain about something that you can't control, um, it takes you in a negative place, and nothing good comes out of that. I'll tell you one thing, though, Sean. Uh, one thing about uh, with us is that, and that's a it's a great lesson on happiness. People will say, "What makes you happy? and What makes you unhappy?" And it's uh, winning at Wisconsin makes you very, very happy. Waiting on the bus or the plane for three extra hours makes you very unhappy so it, it can turn on a dime yeah. like that you know <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and, and you, know, you so and you talked uh, you talked about the coach's approach to things I mean I consider myself very fortunate um, in the fact that I get to work for coach painter who is as about as easy going as there is when it comes to those kind of issues um, but I want you to talk a little bit about Coach Painter. You've known him now for a while. He's been very involved with USA Basketball. Our fans know that basically every June he's uh, he's spending some time in Colorado as part of the selection process for the U19 teams. Um, he's gotten he's coached teams. He's been assistant on teams, and he's become very involved. I know he's very passionate about it. Uh, we talk at quite we talk about it quite a bit. Um, just talk about kind of your relationship with Coach and uh, and kind of his role with with the program. Well, you know, I, I think Matt is just a great person. You know, he's fun to be around. He doesn't take things too seriously. But at the same time, he is very serious about, you know, doing what he does, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, he takes it very seriously. Um, he works really hard. He is committed to USA basketball, and, and we really appreciate that and, and love that. Um, but he's also can you know, laugh about some things. He's, he's very quick witted about things, but, but what I, what I like about him specifically is his ability to make things seem uh, a complicated issue look very simple. He simplifies things very well. And I think that is what uh, makes him a, uh, a very effective coach because he can get players to understand where he's coming from and what he wants them to do. Um, pretty easily but he puts it in a way that makes the player kind of think and agree with him as opposed to um just him telling the player what to do and and you know just just do it because i said so if that makes sense yeah right you know you can always see a player kind of look at him and say yeah okay yeah that yeah you're right you know and it's kind of like hey we talked about this right remember we were gonna yep you're right 
you know, right. like I, I, he's, his approach, he, he, um, he's very connected with, um, with players and, and not only is he connected with players, but he also gets there very quickly with players and he can, you know, the way he can, his, the terminology he uses, the language he uses, the eye contact, and he, 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 he can build trust with players in a short period of time. And I, I think that's a gift. I really do, and especially for, for USA Basketball, who does not have a long time to train. Um, I think that that's, that's really good. And his ability to work um, with other coaches, because as a committee member and now as the chair, um, you know you have to work with coaches, and you're, you're kind of like, hey, look, I've, I just trust me, I've been there. I know, you know I, it doesn't seem to make sense a little bit now, but you're going to want to look at this, that, and the other thing. And... You know, a lot of times that's hard for Division One coaches to get into a situation where they there's an unknown involved. They usually are are experts in their field, but when you come to USA Basketball, there's some unknown elements, and and that's really good working with coaches to gain their trust and to have them listen to some of his experiences that will help them. Yeah, I think you. I think you bring up a, a, a point about coach that I've always thought is one of his strong points and his ability to connect with players. And I know that uh, coach has a reputation for being very honest with, with players and in the recruiting process and that kind of thing. And I think sometimes um, I've heard some of our fans, they'll say some things to me that they think at some point he's too honest with kids. And I said, it's not like he's sitting here telling them that, yeah, we get 12 inches of snow every January in, in West Lafayette. Like it, but you, you have to be honest with kids um, so that down the road, there there's no second guessing. There's no looking back saying, boy, this guy told me this and now we're doing this. Um, he's, he's very honest, but, but I think he wants kids to know what they're getting into because down the road, there's less problems that way. And I could see where he does develop that trust, and he does he he is a very uh, uh, he is relates very well to younger players. And I could see where in your setting, where you do come in and work with them for a very short amount of time, where that's very beneficial. And, and you know, what what happens sometimes too is that kids aren't used to brutal honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, because they they're so gifted and they're so dominant uh, as a player where they are, and you know they and they're they're used to being recruited. They're they're not only recruited to play college; they're recruited to play on travel teams. So you know the recruitment process. They understand that that they ha- sometimes have value to other people, and you know it's it's hard you know to. To be so, you know, not everyone's honest with these guys all the time. And, but once they find someone that is honest, you know, someone it's it's a little bit that takes them back a little bit in a good way. And then they realize that, like, hey, you know, this person isn't trying to get anything from me. You know, this guy's just trying to help me. Right. And, and that's it, – it really um, – it, it builds trust. It really does. And and I think that that's a, a good quality from that. Well, this has been uh, this has all been fascinating stuff. I uh, I could go on talking forever about it, specific trips and, and and different places that you've been. But uh, we always wrap up our podcast with our final four questions, and these are kind of uh, random, off-topic uh, questions. So our first one we're going to throw at you is what's your uh, what's your favorite music of choice? Uh, 
my favorite music of choice. I, boy, that's a good question. So something um, you put on the car, or what's that your go-to music when you're listening? You know, my my uh, uh, I uh, my wife usually handles all the music in the house. <laughs> that's a smart uh, move. Yeah, and uh, I, d- I don't have long commutes at all, but you know, I'm I'm very partial. I like the David Matthews Band. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. I've seen them in concert a few times. Um, they always put on a good show. Uh, what is the best or uh, your favorite or the most recent book you've read? Um, you know what? It's funny. My favorite book that I really like was um, by Warren Buffett called the, uh, the Making of an American Capitalist. And it's the history of Warren Buffett. And it's just an amazing, like, I, I'm uh, always impressed with Warren Buffett. I just think he's very, very intelligent, but also very, very humble. And uh, it's, a, it's a really, really good book. And I read it a long, long time ago. I've actually read it a second time. Um, and uh, I just, uh, I've really enjoyed reading it. He seems like, a, he, of all those guys that have as much money as he does, he seems pretty down to earth with uh, with all his money. And I believe he's giving a lot of his money away, and his children are going to be left with a little bit, but not, yeah, no, not, not the chunk. One percent, yeah. <laughs> which isn't bad. <laughs> he's, giving, he's giving his children what they need to, 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 to live the lifestyle they have for the rest of their lives. But, you know, he, he's... Yeah, he's, he gives a lot of it away, and um, he, he just a, um, you know, his. I love the fact that his stock is never split. The Berkshire Hathaway, a stock is never split, and hmm. Berkshire Hathaway is a um, is a mill, a, a clothing mill, because he owned a lot of mills up in uh, New Hampshire, and it's a mill up, like up there, and he got out of the market for a period of time. And, and in the late 60s, and he got back in, and he bought a bunch of stock, but he didn't want people to know he was back in the market, so he bought it on the Berkshire Hathaway, hmm. because he was buying, and he didn't want people to know it. And uh, and then he just kept that name, and, and he hasn't split the, the stock ever. Wow. And it's, it's, really, uh, it's really interesting, you know, like, he thought insurance was a great investment. You know, he owns Geico. And he thought insurance was a great investment because people play, they pay up front and then you can, they pay up front and you can invest that money. Even if you have to pay them all back, you can still, if you have their money for a year and you invest it and you're smart, you'll make money on that and give them their money back. Wow. Just like American Express. You like American Express because you had to pay your bill. Like American Express will let you, you know, do it, but you don't have an option of not paying the bill, Mm -hmm. you know? credit cards and, and he, he liked that like there's just little things he was pretty interesting that's cool so um, what is one yeah. profession that uh, if you didn't if you weren't doing what you do and you could wave a wand and do anything else what uh, what other profession would you like to do you know I think it would be really cool to be like um, a an architect and a, like a general contractor to like to build things. So you're and, uh, an architect, like, George Costanza style, right? So you're from. Well, somebody. I don't know about that style. <laughs> but I always like to design like big buildings and big, you know, and just see like, wow. um, 
you know, I, I always, we're, I'm big on culture uh-huh. and, you know, cause our team's culture is just so important. And I think that like a lot of times culture starts with the designing of a building, you know, and, and the flow of people. And like, you know, when you see a building, you're like, wow, what a good idea. Look what they did. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think stuff is, is, uh, is, is pretty cool. And, uh, I, I think that, um, the other thing would probably be a lawyer because I just, you know, I, I do a lot of work with lawyers and contracts and stuff. And, uh, you know, whether they're whether right or wrong, a lot of times lawyers are perceived as the smartest people in the room. <laughs> I'm yeah, mar- Elliot's I'm a, married to one. I'm married to a lawyer. And so trust I, me, she is the smartest <laughs> one in the room. <laughs> so I know, I know that feeling very well. Uh, okay, and the last question of the final four is what is one thing about you that not many people know? Um, well, good question. Um, you know, probably if I won the lottery, I could walk away from this job tomorrow and just be a dad. <laughs> that would That wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I love my job, uh, but you know, I, I would, I would, you know, give it up to just be a stay-at-home dad. I have a seven-year-old daughter and a boy and girl, five-year-old twins, and I could stay home and be their dad full time very easily. Is that the is that the toughest part? Is being when you travel is being away from them? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, no question. You know, but it's also great to come home to them as well. Right. And I think um, having the balance and having that um, really helps me a lot. Um, but yeah, yeah, certainly. You know, so that that would be, you know, um, I, I love my job, but I don't want my job to be who I am. Right. That's that's very well put, and I think a good way a good way to end it. Um, Sean, thanks so much for yeah. taking time with us. It's hey, been great. Budget. Been okay. really, really good talking to you. So best of luck uh, down the road with the next, uh, next trip and travel wherever that may take you. And uh, and uh, hopefully, uh, maybe down the road we'll get you back on sometime. Sounds great. You have a great trip. Have a great trip to uh, World University Games. Okay, great deal. Uh, thanks, Sean. Appreciate okay. having you on. And uh, okay. to everybody else, that's been uh, our podcast episode twenty-one. And uh, again, that was. Uh, Sean Ford of USA Basketball and um, his role with the men's national team director there. Um, great, great hearing from Sean and and um, learned a little bit about uh, all those times that Mac was out to Colorado, figuring out what he does out there uh, every June. So good uh, behind the scenes look. Larry, anything else to add before we sign off here? No, sir. Very uh, informative uh, discussion. You know, it's changed so much in my lifetime. Absolutely, and. It's a big day for me, though, uh, Elliot, because uh, 47 years ago today, I left the United States Army and came home. I always forget that. I, I never forget that day. It was on July 17, 1970. So kind of an anniversary day for me. Outstanding. Well, that's a very, very it's an important day in your life. Very yeah. cool. And yeah. and uh, for the the avid uh, listeners of the podcast, we've uh, we've been off the last few weeks, um, kind of recharging batteries and everything, with some trips and travel. I know Larry, you've been uh, doing some travel, and I've taken the family a couple places. So uh, it's good to get back on the podcast. We we promise to have more episodes throughout the rest of the summer. 
um, as we kind of lead into our trip over to Taipei in mid-August. Uh, we've got a lot of good uh, guests lined up. Sylvia Booker has been taking advantage of those weeks where we've been off to line up uh, several people here. Uh, well, I mean, you got to gotta have podcast. some. You got to have some vacation time. Elvis. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're not so, not robots. No, absolutely. Okay. Well, that'll wrap up episode twenty-one here on the podcast. Thanks as always for listening, and until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. <laughs>